and listen to what God's word says. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Please be seated. Let's bow our heads and one more time before we engage with the word. Lord, thank you so much for your scriptures that you've given us. Thank you for where we find us as we uh, continue preaching through Acts. We pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will do miraculous things in our life. Things like comforting us and calming us and helping us to appreciate or convicting us and whatever it is that uh, we need and you know we need. Lord, we thank you for your gracious love to us as we interact. Thank you for your Holy Spirit's presence. In Jesus' name, amen. I am sure probably everyone has asked this question kind of in a, at least maybe verbal or maybe just in your minds as you've read through scriptures and you say, I wonder why the Bible was put together the way it is. And I wonder why these things are in the Bible. Like why all of these genealogies? Or a friend of mine was reading through the Bible. He, he'd read a lot of Bible. He'd heard a lot of sermons. But he and his wife were going to read through the Bible together. And he came to me one time and he said, so I think it was in Chronicles somewhere. It says, you know, this tribe bought, brought 50 silver plates and 200 shekels of this and five. And, and he said, every single tribe and, and house in that tribe is listed. And it's the same thing. He said, couldn't they have just wrote dot, dot, dot or ditto marks or something? Why is this in the Bible? And I said, I really don't know. All I know is that it is in the Bible. It's God's word. Um, I don't see me ever preaching an actual expository sermon on it. But we read it, and it's there. It's God's word for us. And God wrote the Bible, and he used people to do it. So I don't think it's wrong to, to, to wonder sometimes. Uh, in my own Bible reading, 
I am finally at a breakthrough. The part that I just don't like, if that's all right. It's God's word, so I submit to it, and I love it because it's God's word. But the part that bogs me down is reading through Job, not what Job says and not what God says, but what those friends say. And it's like, oh, uh, maybe it's because, and I'm like, why do we have such dialogue on this? Maybe it's a personal conviction that I've been like that and people have been needing somebody to just come and comfort them and to say God is big and mysterious and instead they wax theologically eloquent. And that last guy, the young guy, uh, virtue signaling, I was letting you older ones speak and, and now, uh, but you guys are so dumb, I'm going to tell you how it all works and he's a young guy and he doesn't know. And in the end, I love it when finally all that is over and God speaks and God declares who he is. And then in the very end, I like God restoring the things to Job, but I think my favorite part is when he says, and you guys are in trouble, but I'm going to let Job offer sacrifices and pray for you because of what you've done to him. But I, like, do we need all? But we do. It's God's word, and there's something there. And we love God's word because it's God's word. So we are at a part in Scripture this morning I heard a lot of stories about Tabitha and, 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 and Dorcas. Translated means that. Uh, the Hebrew word means gazelle. She was named after the, the gazelle. And I was going to do an Old Testament reading on a gazelle, and I decided just to take a great woman from the Old Testament to match the great woman in the New Testament. So that was that choice. I've, I knew some people in college. I knew a couple named Tabitha, and I knew a couple named Dorcas. And... Uh, it's familiarity, but it's like, boy, last week and the week before, that section about God saving Paul so dramatically and turning a life around. Next week and, and following Peter and Cornelius and the whole issue of race and racism and, and, and what the Bible has to say as the only solution. Why are these two little vignettes in here? They're wonderful. But why, when Luke was writing the Bible under God's inspiration, why did God have him place them here? And uh, that was the biggest part of wrestling with the text. How do they apply to us? Not that it wasn't great that, that, that someone was raised off of a, a sickbed. But we've seen that before in the Bible, right? And not that it wasn't great that Dorcas was raised back to life. But why did God have There's a reason why. And I hope this morning that we get really encouraged by the reason why, because it's a good reason. Um, So uh, join me with this. Um, I wrote this, and and this is my goal this morning, is for you to leave loving your local church. And even more than that, for you to love this local church and love and appreciate your fellow members with whom you worship and partake of the Lord's table. Uh, There is something about local congregations, the germ of which is being uh, entered into here, the seeds of Presbyterianism that we'll see come out in Acts chapter 15. Uh, uh, It's starting here, sort of like the idea of deacons was starting there with Stephen and Philip and those set aside, and, and we see what God's doing. But you, if you're thinking about a local church body as you read and interact with the text... I believe you're on the right track, and we're on the right track as we look at this. So I'll tell you what I mean. So four points. 
I didn't alliterate them, but I was going to say they all begin with the word the. <laughs> so, okay, that was dumb. But they're not alliterated. They don't all begin with the letter C or whatever. They begin with the word the. It's going to be this. Here, here's the direction of the sermon. One, the continuation of Jesus' ministry in the local church. Two, the assembling of a variety of people by God in his local church. Three, the connection of local churches with each other. Parentheses, the beginning of Presbyterianism. And four, the parallels to our local church. So that's the flow. That's where we're, we're trying to head this morning as we follow along and, and think about Aeneas and Dorcas and, and Simon the Tanner and these others. First of all, the continuation of Jesus' ministry in the local church. So, verse 32, Peter went here and there among them all. He was able to get out of Jerusalem. He stayed there during the crisis. Some had to flee the persecution. Some people had to stay there with that congregation who couldn't flee or wouldn't flee. And he was there. And then when the persecution subsided a little bit and the scattering uh, stopped, he was free uh, along with other apostles. Remember, they went down to see what was going on with uh, Philip and, and the sorcerer and all of that. And so he was free to, to kind of look at what God's work was doing with the people who'd been scattered in the congregations. And here he's going to these various little churches. Jesus' ministry also was not confined to a city. Jesus wasn't a local hero. Jesus wasn't just Jerusalem. Remember, we talked about this. Simon the magician, he was just there in that uh, Samaritan place where he was. He was a local guy. Jesus' ministry itself was like what he commanded the church to be. The church was spreading and scattering. Um, Think of Jesus and his national ministry with the forecast of a global reach. Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman, for instance. Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Jesus in the Great Commission saying, go to all nations and peoples. Uh, Jesus, when he chased the money changers out, and he says, and he quoted Isaiah, my church shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And so this spreading out and this globalization, it's not like God was scratching his head up in heaven going, man, I didn't even plan for for global, I just planned for local. But boy, look at this. Let's see what we can do now, angels. Let's have a strategy session. No, this was God's plan from the beginning. Even back to Abraham. In you shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And so this passage this morning of Peter going out and leaving Jerusalem to these other places is a continuation of Jesus' ministry. Think of the international flavor of tongues at Pentecost. Think of the Ethiopian eunuch. We're seeing it unfold, and it's a setup uh, for what's going to happen in the next passages. So Peter is there, and, and, and the local churches are there in these little towns. Local gatherings where they had been scattered. They still got together with each other and encourage each other in the faith. Later on, Paul would go around and set up elders and, and deacons, and, and they'd get organized a little bit more. But they are still meeting together in a local church. Think local church, along with everything else you think about Christianity and your own walk with God, and you're on the right track. You're, you're being biblical when you're thinking church, local church. Parallels between these two miracles of Peter to the miracles of the Lord. 
this was the new thing to me, and this was interesting. How when he said to Aeneas, take up your bed and walk, if we could, and we won't, I just decided we won't, but you can write this down and you can think of what you remember. Luke chapter 5, verses 18 through 25. Jesus was with the man at Bethsaida. And there was this whole deal where Jesus said, uh, after he healed him, first he forgave his sins, remember? And they said, oh, you, who are you? You can't forgive sins. Who do you think you are? He goes, it's the same thing. Forgive sins, take up your bed and walk, be healed, all this. It's the same to me. Uh, there are seven instances of people being paralyzed, and I, uh, the great number of them also, along with somebody being paralyzed, talk about the forgiveness of sins attached to that. It's, it's a very interesting thing in the Bible. But the parallel between Peter doing what he saw Jesus do, and when this man was healed be, through Jesus Christ, he said to him, take up your bed. And the continuation of Jesus' ministry, though Jesus was gone, now, take up your bed. That could also have been translated, uh, prepare a meal, because the man was in his house, and they're saying, well, maybe he just said, but he's get up. I was going to just title the sermons, make your bed. <laughs> Tell kids, make your beds. I used to say that every Easter when they went into the grave and Jesus' things were folded. I would say, now, kids, Jesus made his bed before he left the tomb. <laughs> uh, make your beds. Clean your rooms. Uh, but that's not the point of the message. But Jesus, but him saying, make your bed, was similar. That healing of that similar thing and that language, we see the continuation. Jesus at work in his church, though Jesus has ascended, he sent the Holy Spirit. He established his church, and it continues. To this very day, Jesus is working in his church. See the parallels then with the next story of Tabitha being dead and, and rising. And we read this account, and do you remember Jairus and his daughter? This is in Mark chapter 5. And he comes urgently, language of urgency, come, come, my daughter's dying. She's dead. Jesus goes. There are mourners there, people around her, her bed. She's already established she's dead. Same with Tabitha. I'm going to call her Dorcas sometimes. I'm going to call her Tabitha other times. I'm talking about the same person. Um, so Same with Tabitha. She's dead. And they're gathered around her bed, crying and mourning. And they're holding up the, the things that she had made for them. And she was a beloved saint, a, a sister in their congregation who meant so much, and she was dead and they're crying. Same way that Jesus said, everybody get out. And he raised, uh, he said, little girl, Talitha Kum. Uh, was, the, was the language, the Aramaic language. Uh, uh, somebody pointed out Talitha and Tabitha uh, in the transliteration, just one letter difference. Uh, Peter, again, everybody get out. She's established as dead. They've, they've washed her body, prepared her for a, a burial like they would have done, uh, a one-day burial in that culture. Uh, established dead, he says, get out, raises her, brings her back. Uh, the parallels between these two with significant miracles that Jesus did, what we can take away from this and understand is the continuation. Though Jesus' ascended body is in heaven, he is working in his church, and you can't miss this. And then the result of the works was the same. The miracles that Jesus did, when people saw that, they were in awe, 
and they trusted in God. And it says in both instances, people heard about this and saw this. And, and the miracles in and of themselves were great and wonderful. But the result was people's hearts being changed and, and fellow worshipers waiting to worship God with us when we get to heaven and join them. So think about this. Understand, that's the first point. The continuation of Jesus' ministry in the local church. God's works did not go with him to heaven and cease. And God is still at work through his Holy Spirit in his churches today. Indeed, even in this church. God loves the local church and the local gathering. And now, uh, just it's just fun to think about it, to see the various individuals in that church. The assembling of a variety of people in the life of the church. The healthy and the frail. Aeneas, bedridden. Man, he couldn't come to church work day, could he? He was paralyzed. He was eight years down. Uh, there was not much... What a valuable member in his weakness and in his frailty he was to the church. In fact, he's the only one whose name from that congregation we see in Scripture. And Peter went and, 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 and through God's work, raised him up. We see healthy and frail. Aeneas was no less a member than those who weren't bedridden. He was worth Peter's visit and Peter's time. And his weakness, like your weakness, like the things that have you paralyzed from time to time, the things that have you uh, stopped and staggered in fear. Maybe it's physical, maybe it's emotional, maybe it's something in the past, maybe it's uh, who knows what it is. In your weakness, that weakness can be used and will be used to glorify God as God works in you. Even the weakness is a vehicle to bring glory to God. Why else would Paul say, when I'm weak, then I'm strong? No secondary members, no first members, no primary, no, the, no, no uh, uh, public face versus you know, us, uh, the rest of us, or what, anything like that. No first, uh, scripture says this, no in Christ, no male or female, no Jew or Greek, no bond or free. Uh, there is nothing gender, nothing racial, nothing economic or social uh, that, that makes anybody better or worse in God's eyes and in God's congregation. Think about Aeneas. Then think about those who serve with the gifts that God has given them. Tabitha. Boy, think, if you could go there if, if, if God could help you go there and you could sit in that room and you could see her laying out there at that, what, I guess what we would call a wake, and you could hear those people and instead of somebody passing the microphone, here's what this dead person meant to me when she was alive. Uh, it was the same type of a thing. And they're holding these clothes that she made for them and, and her love for them. Uh, you would cry with them. You would. If not, your heart is too hard. You would empathize and you would hear their grief and feel their grief. And there she was in that congregation as a servant of others. There are also those who serve by receiving. 
They all refused the gifts of Tabitha. If they said, no, I can pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I got it myself. Uh, thanks, but no thanks. Give that to somebody who really needs it. And if in their pride they had re- refused those gifts, they wouldn't have been exercising their, uh, why God put them there. It's a gift to receive and let other people use their gifts to help you. You're not as strong as you think you are. They'd all said, I'm poor, but I'm proud. And there's no one even weeping and mourning her death because her her life means nothing. Let people use their gifts even in your life is is what we see. We see a church working together and God bringing people together and and different needs, different meeting of needs and and, and it's all go. Uh, There's nothing wrong. Boy, we're all givers and we're all receivers in our time. What you don't want to be is just a straight taker and user of people, but you want to be a giver, but you want to be a receiver. Nothing wrong with that. Somebody wants to meet with you and pray for you. Well... I don't want you to, I don't want to put you out. I'll just, no, take their prayers. Why not? God's put that on their heart to, to, to minister to you. You're in a congregation together to do that together. Watching this old, old baseball game from 25 years ago, and, and uh, it's interesting. ABC was carrying a, a semi young Brett Musburger, and he was the Yankees, and the, it was a, Famous game because Tino Martinez did something, but I didn't keep it on long enough, and I just it just background. But Musburger said, and Luis Soho, he's a good one to have up in a situation like this with the bases loaded, going up against David Cohn. He says, but next year he'll step down because of this shortstop. He called him a wonderkin. I don't know how the, the it's not the German way to pronounce it, because of Alex Rod- this kid named Alex Rodriguez that's coming up next year that will take his place. And I'm like, wow, that's all. Rodriguez has all been three or four teams. He's announcing now it's all dead and gone. But the team goes on, and and so had his role, and this person has this role. And and on a sports team, you've got a left-handed specialist. You've got a a guy who's just a good clubhouse guy. Listening on audio to Bob Gibson's uh, book called Stranger to the Game, and he's talking about those great Cardinals teams in the 60s. And he talks about how this person was a great player, but boy, the general manager made this trade, and when he brought this person in, this was a good clubhouse guy, and he might not have been as good here, but, but it all fit together because God, because the manager put it together, the application even being to God, putting people in churches who he wants there for his glory and, 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 and regard each other that way. The assembling of a variety of people in the life of the church Tabitha and Simon the Tanner who let Peter stay at his house and eat his food and maybe Simon the Tanner's wife you know, had to change the sheets and wash the things or maybe Simon did that. We don't know if he was rich or poor, common or not common, but there's somebody to, to house the uh, hospitality. And everybody's got a job to do and they've got names and they function together in this local church that was being formed. Think about later in Philippi when Paul writes to the Philippian church and what we will cover in Acts about the Philippian jailer who was going to kill himself and what must I do to be saved? And he and his household got baptized and he's part of the church. You have the businesswoman Lydia. She's part of that church. You have a couple of ladies squawking at the end. Uh, 
Yodi and Sinteki, and, and they were faithful in God, but they kind of like, you know, like, like people do sometimes, they kind of rub on each other, and there's a guy that he says, can you kind of help make peace? And, and there's a whole assemblage of people in this congregation in Philippi. And they're there to do God's work, and they're not perfect, and, but they're doing God's work all the way to heaven. And that's a local church. That's our local church. That's Christ the Shepherd Church. We're not a restaurant with a product and we hope you keep coming here and eating here and tell other people the meal is good here. A church is different. God assembles the cast of characters in his local churches. A little bit later, I'm going to say that God wants you here because he brought you here. And enjoy that and be part of that and, and respond to that. Third thing, because we're Presbyterians, I want to show you the beginnings of a Presbyterian system of connection between the churches. And I got the email. <laughs> Called meeting of Presbytery up somewhere in Massachusetts next Saturday. Uh, what did I have planned for the 13th? Well, whatever it is, I need to go. Uh, as a buddy of mine, Bruce Cook, is going to be, a, they need a pastor up there in Boston. Oh, Bruce is a good guy, good South African guy. I've known him since Delaware and just that good, but, you know, because we're connected as a church, um, there I will be. <laughs> um, it's good. It's a good thing. God changed my heart from even the negative feelings I, when I first saw that. There was a connection between the smaller communities. This is the beginning as the church is being formed. And so Peter's out visiting all of the churches. In the first verse we read here, as Peter went here and there among them all, he's visiting these churches. There's a connection between them. And then he's at this one church where Aeneas is. And then the other church congregation, they're small enough, and there's a connection enough, and they know he's there, and there's, there's something there, and he's there for all of them. There's a, a connection between local churches. There'd be more. Later on, uh, you'll see a, a racial uh, mix being different in each one. Some will be more Gentiles and a few Jews. Some will be mostly Jewish people and, and a few Gentiles. And they've got to deal with it as churches on, on circumcision and all these things. But there's a connection there. And, and that connection, as we will close with, that common denominator, that connection is Jesus Christ being the Savior of, of each of their souls and putting them, saving them not to be an army of one, but putting them into Groups, local churches. The local church matters. If you're thinking about local churches and the importance of a local church, then you're on the right track. There's a connection. Application to us specifically. Our church specifically. Jesus' work continues in the church. Had a good meeting yesterday of deacon training. Uh, The deacons are... Our, the, the candidates will meet with the elders. Uh, they'll uh, we'll, we'll present all that to you as a, after Tuesday night and how it goes. But uh, somebody pointed out, and we, we were talking. I said, I don't know. I said, I have no idea what the other elders are going to ask. I was like, kind of preparing them. Don't know what they're going to ask because it's been a long time. I think it was just Mark and me that interviewed Gordon. And, and, and I don't know how, when Gordon became a deacon, but I said, I'm not going to say everything they're going to ask, but I'm going to ask. What's the difference between a deacon and an elder? I'm going to ask that. And then it came up in the conversation that all of us, even if we're not ordained 
to deacon and elder. There is deacon and elder type work for each of us to do. We all do. We're all called to uh, to serve. We're all called, uh, even in our families and, and with people, to teach. And there, there's that type of work. Uh, there's a specific calling for ordained deacons and elders. But we all have something to do, a, a role to fulfill in the church. Paul talked about that when he gave the analogy of the body and the hand and the eye and the foot and, the, and, the, and all those things. One can't say on the other. It's all important. It's all together. And if one's missing, it hurts. As long as Christ is the head. Okay? We have work to do. And when you contribute to the building up and encouragement of the saints, you are continuing to do the work that God is doing in his church. Uh, You get to be part of it. He can do it without you. He can do it without any of us. He chooses to use us. Uh, Old Finley used to try and tell me, God uses a crooked stick, us. He uses an imperfect to do his perfect work. That's great. Jesus assembling his people. So I was watching this old 25-year-old ball game. It was just on the back. It was a, it's a free thing on one of these free internet channels, and they got the MLB channel. It's like, what's that? What's that? It's, it's old games. <laughs> and that's kind of good for a, an old guy like me who, who kind of likes those old games. But I said, what was I doing 25 years ago? It was the 1995 World Series. Well, I was in seminary probably studying. I bet I had the game on on the radio. I wasn't invested in it because it was just the Yankees, and I, I didn't like the Yankees at that time. I kind of do now. But I thought of our two Yankee lovers here. I said, I wonder what John Thorberg, was he watching that game? He would have still had some of his kids at home. I said, oh, Gordon, what was Gordon doing? Gordon was watching that game. David Cohn was on the map. And I thought, uh, wow, maybe God was watching the three of us watched that game, and there was no Christ the Shepherd Church at that time. I wouldn't have known where Danbury, Connecticut was. I I could probably not, I'd probably not even know where Connecticut was, honestly. I I was in the Midwest and the South. I might have, it's one of those little ones up there. I know it's not that Rhode Island, but it's maybe, I would have messed it up with. And here's God watching us saying, 25 years from now, they'll be sitting in a worship service, worshiping me together. They will be serving together. God assembling all of us. God assembling all of us. God doing what he did and would do. And that's for each of us that God brings into membership. You're here as a member of Christ the shepherd because God wants you here because there's something beautiful and wonderful for you to do here in your local church that he's graciously placed you in. Here's Bonhoeffer, book called Life Together. And man, he was so hard. I highlighted this one and <laughs> drew stars by it. Listen to him talking about uh, the understanding that God puts you in the community he wants you in. And he's really tough on pastors who get together and complain about their churches. Listen to this. Pastors should not complain about their congregation, certainly never to other people, but also not to God. Congregations have not been entrusted to them in order that they should become accusers of their congregations before God and their fellow human beings. When pastors lose faith in a Christian community in which they've been placed, 
and begin to make accusations against it, they had better examine themselves first to see, examine themselves first to see whether the underlying problem is not their own idealized image, which should be shattered by God. I've got the perfect church to me. No. <laughs> what are they? It's the old uh, joke, the old uh, rule of thumb. Find the perfect church, don't go there, you'll mess it up, as they say. Um, pastors, better examine yourself. You might have too high of an image of what a church is. And if they find it to be true, let them thank God for leading them into this predicament. But if they find it's not true, let them nevertheless guard against ever becoming an accuser of those whom God has gathered together. Instead, let them accuse themselves of their unbelief. Let them ask for an understanding of their own failure and their particular sin and pray that they may not wrong other Christians. Let such pastors, recognizing their own guilt, make intercession for those charged to their care. Let them do what they have been instructed to do and thank God. That's convicting. He goes on to talk about people and their understanding, like congregants. Uh, skip a couple of paragraphs in just this last one, if you, can, if you can bear with me on this. Christian community is not an ideal we have to realize but rather a reality created by God in Christ in which we may participate. The more clearly we learn to recognize that the ground and strength and promise of all our community is in Jesus Christ alone, the more calmly we will learn to think about our community and pray and hope for it. That's a way to approach church that honors God. A word about the church's children. I've been trying this out in my head, and I said it yesterday to to somebody, and I'm trying. um, You can help me out. Tell me afterwards. Is it proper to say, I was going to get up and make a declaration. You treat the church's children like celebrities. What? Well, if treating them like celebrities means celebrate their lives, celebrate them as in church, Celebrate them as part of people that God has has assembled. The old phrase, children should be seen and not heard, is not good for a church. Uh, This whole idea of covenant and God, uh, uh, God loving his babies. I know when they were babies, boy. There were times I know when, when, when little Noel was a little baby and he was starting to jibber-jabber and talk and exercise his voice, he preached better sermons than me. Uh, we love our babies. We love our kids. We love our, our, our intermediates. We must. They're a gift from God. And a church that God brings together, he also brings children. So maybe not celebrities like... Uh, some of these TV shows. But if it means celebrate them, if it means little Cameron wants to hold your hand and go play, kick a ball, better have a really good reason not to do that. I think, I really believe that. I believe that. And when we baptize our kids and there's that question for the congregation and, and we say, now to the members of the congregation, stand up. Uh, do you promise to do everything in your ability uh, that's a serious holy question. That's not just a check mark in a, in a book of church order somewhere. That's you making an obligation to the church's children. Do that. Commit to that.
be like the woman I heard of who had every opportunity in the church she was in to, to leave a godly legacy. But the adults remember her as somebody who would say rude things to people in a bossy, controlling type of a way. And the children remember her as the woman who didn't wash her hands after she went to the bathroom when their parents had told them to wash their hands. And they said, why is she not washing her hands? And that's what they remember of her. <laughs> Think about that. Uh, I would rather be a woman, if I'm, a God, if I'm an older woman in a congregation, I'd rather have the kids when they scratch their heads and remember me, I'd have, I would want them to say, her hands were always folded in prayer. Or her hands were always pointing us to Jesus. Her hands were always making things like Tabitha in the Bible. No, her hands were just unwashed. You've got an obligation in your, in, in your life to the church, including the church's children, and they're watching. One body, many members. Love your fellow members. God has called them to be part of your life. God is putting his local church together. I do think that's, that's, that's the great thing for us in these two incidences as we get ready to see the church continue to develop. Final application. This is, this is where it comes down, and if this isn't said, then it's a wasted sermon. The common denominator. What do we have in common? Well, some of us have a sports thing in common, or uh, some of you guys are really good, or, and, and, and women are really good at fixing. <laughs> I, I'm always interested to hear Paula talk to Dave about tools and things like that, and I'm like, I'm not in this conversation. Somebody want to talk about sports? <laughs> I'll do that. Uh, we all have our interests and our things we're good at, or, you know, we, we, we all have that, and, and as we get to know each other, we, we find that. But what do we have in common? Members. One thing, the prime number, the the common denominator, the, the one thing that binds us and unites us and will keep us bound throughout eternity, and that is that Jesus Christ paid for our sins on the cross, and we are forgiven through Jesus, and we are brought from, from death to life. Everything you can say about the gospel, that's what we have as Christians, and that's That's what locks us in. Say this, because I said it a couple weeks ago, and I'm kind of on. When Jesus died on the cross, he did not die so that you could possibly have the option of coming to him or not, and so you could have your, you know, your quote unquote uh, free will to choose or not. He died specifically for the people he came to save. And he died to forgive your specific sins. And even though you were not born yet, he didn't say, well, I just hope, hope old Dave, I hope it works out. I'll give him a good godly mom and dad and, and he'd better. No, he died for my sins on the cross and yours. And we were united together there. And now here we are united in a local church in Danbury. And that's our common denominator, and that's why I can say, uh, he ain't heavy, he's my brother. And that's why when I uh, complain, or if I, if, I do, if, when, have, do, Bonhoeffer's words are so convicting, when that happens, that is utter sin against God and God's providence and sovereignty. He united us. Love your local church that he's placed you in. He forgave you, and he loved you so much that he put you in a church.
and then you think through the ramifications and we'll live according to that. But boy, we get to come to the table together. And let's just pray and do that now. Lord, thank you for those local churches. We thank you for the uniting in heaven of those Christians. Maybe in their lifetime, uh, though we connect Aeneas and Tabitha in the scripture, they were in little towns, maybe they didn't even meet each other till heaven. But they're united, uh, they were united in their local churches, which were united to each other uh, through your uh, organization. And Lord, we thank you for the uniting in heaven that's there for us. Lord, help us to understand these things. Help us to be quick to forgive each other and make allowances for each other then. And to, uh, to, to attend and be part of and enjoy each other's company and the worshiping of you together in this local church. Lord, we thank you for Christ the shepherd. We also thank you for uh, all the good churches. And thank you that we're not the only ones. And thank you that in Greater Danbury, there are, there are many, many churches that preach the gospel. And you've called people there just like you've called us here. So we thank you for them. And, and we pray for, for each local church. But Lord, right now, we thank you for ours. We thank you for Jesus who died for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.